What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, today is part four of the four-part series that we've been doing, why T-Hop. Uh, Will, if you could just throw those pictures up of T-Hop. And um, uh, it's a 5,000, for those of you who haven't been here, and a lot of our people were like on vacation last week, so uh, anyway, welcome back. Um, I encourage you to go online and listening, listen to the different uh, sermons that, that, that have been spoken on this. Um, but what we've done as a church is we bought an old uh, a funeral home that is 5,000 square feet, and we're in the process of building it out. And the buildings really don't matter. It's what's going to go on inside of the buildings that matter because the church is not the building. The church is the people, and the church is you. And so the reason why we're talking about this, because this isn't built yet, it's being built as we speak, but you in here are called to do something in that building. Maybe not all of you, but there's a lot of you that'll be in there. And so this is the fourth message. We've done why T-Hop, why T-Hop, why T-Hop, but today we're going to finally get to some application of how T-Hop. How T-Hop. And by the way, T-Hop stands for Tamron House of Prayer. Uh, again, this will have three things. Uh, living quarters where staff will move into the Tamron Avenue community. 516 uh, discipleship program, which is our discipleship program at our church, can move in there. And also missionaries that want to move into the community. We'll have a number of beds that will be open. So some of you may be living on Tamron in a in a few months, and so that could be you. I don't know who it is, but your spirit may have just leaped right now. There's a witness in your spirit, Romans eight sixteen. There's a witness. No amens. All right. Uh, the next thing is going to be the Lewis Mentoring Center, and I know I saw Cassie walk in here. I don't know where she goes. Where, where are you? Cassie, are you high? And JJ's here today. He's not serving. I want both of you guys to stand up, please. Pretty please. So I'm just proud of this. You, you please stand up. Please stand up. I'm just so proud of this couple. Um, I was actually talking about you, JJ. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the day when we were at Pizza Hut and we were talking about what we wanted in a wife. And I told you about, my, about who, who, who I wanted to marry in my list. And everybody at the table was like, that's Miss Colleen. So JJ was there, BC, before Miss Colleen. Anyway, um, <laughs> The Lewis Mentoring Center, and I know you can't see that, but the Mentoring Center is going to be named after this couple, because this couple has been just such an example, and I hope that the children of Tamron would grow up to be just like you guys, and it is an honor for our church to name this center after you guys, and so I just bless you in Jesus' name and honor your life in Jesus' name, so, yeah. The third thing is T-Hop, Tamron House of Prayer. Um, Tamron House of Prayer is where we hope to establish a place where every denomination, um, every ethnicity, doesn't matter. People are going to come in and worship Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that place will be just dedicated to that. And we pray that this would be a thing that would bring the church of Jesus Christ together, that God would be glorified and honored. And as a way of review, um, we talked about a number of different things in our past messages. The first week on YT Hop was it's part of us to establish 24 hours, 24 hours, seven day a week prayer. It's because Jesus said, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We went through the book of Revelation and we saw heaven and whenever heaven is pictured in the book of Revelation, it's a worship service that's going on. And so one way to bring heaven to earth is by establishing nonstop prayer and worship where we throw our crowns at the king of kings who is Jesus. It's one way, it's a way, and it's an honor to be able to be a part of that. Keep in mind, our church's name's not going to be on this building. It's the Tamron House of Prayer. 
and we want everybody to come in, that the only focus is the name of Jesus because his name is all that matters. The second thing that we talked about was that God was stirring builders. God was stirring builders and God was stirring finances and resources as well. And I gave you a testimony, if you missed it, of just how many miraculous things God has done. Now, when I got finished talking last week, and sharing to you about how we wrote it, that we had a bill for 26 grand. And then I showed you the rock how, as we signed that check, 25 grand came into the office from somebody who didn't go to our church. And then after the service, Cheryl pulls me aside and she says, Hey, Chris, how do you know about that 25 grand that came in? I was like, What are you talking about? The 25 grand didn't come in to bow down. 25 grand came in, it was sent to me at Urban Youth Impact office. And she's like, oh, I guess you didn't know about that, but we got another 25 grand that was sent to Bow Down's office. See, I'm the president of Urban Youth Impact, so sometimes people send money to Urban Youth Impact for Bow Down. So anyway, we'll take it any way it comes, baby. You You feel what I'm saying? So the miraculous thing, and Will, if you could put up this rock, as I was telling you last week, so I just added some numbers to my rock in the rock jar, is that 26 went out, 25 came in, but then I had to add that 25 on the top. Next picture, Will, because the reality was that I didn't know last week is that 50 G's came in, not just 25. Who gets the glory for that? God does, because we haven't asked anybody for money here. We're not doing a building campaign. What's that? No, 26 went out. 50K came in. No, 26... So... Antoine's building, by the way. Stand up, Antoine. We got to pray for you because if, ma- if, ma- if your math's wrong on the, on the studs and on the, on the cabinets and on the windows, we got some problems. So we need to pray for, for Antoine. He's in charge of building T-Hop, by the way. So let's pray just a construction genius over his life in Jesus' name. Love you, bro. <laughs> uh, you been talking to Colleen interrupting me in my sermon, man? Huh? <laughs> All right, then last week we talked about the fact that you are a priest. Say, I'm a priest. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. All right? And we talked about the intention of God from the beginning. Acts chapter 19, excuse me, not Acts, Exodus 19, verses 3 through 5. You are God's treasured what? Possession. And I told you to meditate on that because some of you don't believe that you're God's treasured possession. And not only was it God's intention in Acts 19 with the nation of Israel that they would be a kingdom priest, because that's what it says, not just the Levites, but a whole nation of kingdom priests. It didn't happen with Israel. So now we're in the New Testament, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and verses 9 of 1 Peter. And it says that we in Christ are a royal priesthood, that we are a, a new race on the earth. If you're a Christian, you're in a new race, a new race of people. If there's race issues in the church, it's because the church hasn't read the Bible. And we don't live as it's true. There's one new race of kingdom people. 1 Timothy 2, 5. First, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, 5. 1 Peter 2.9, and that's who we are. And then we went to Revelation 1.6, which says, because of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, because of the cross, He has made us. That word has is past tense. He has made us a kingdom of priests. So we are a kingdom of priests. It's not that, oh, I'm a Christian. Listen, you need to start thinking, I am a priest. Tonight, when you go out and you get candy, listen, Collar on your neck, you're a priest. God is stirring up priests. This is his intention. That people would walk as priests of God. And by the way, this is, is tonight Halloween? I've been so busy. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah, listen. Yeah, you ready from candy, huh? Listen, uh, guys, a lot of people, you know, get all, all freaked out about Halloween. Look, guys, last time I checked, we came to take over. Last time I checked, the enemy's under my feet. And he's under yours, and I'm a priest. And so, anyway, greater is he that's in you that's he that's in the world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. I can keep going with verses. Stop it. This is not the devil's night, because my Bible says today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will what? Come on. We got a church that's just sleeping. We don't operate out of fear. We won. We're seated with Christ, Ephesians 2, 6, in heavenly places, and the enemy's under our feet, and we will trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing, and will harm us, nothing. And so it's not that we fear what's out there. They are fearing what's in here. And the false view of the church, like this is some wicked night. No, we take over tonight as priests of God. Is there wickedness going to happen? Yeah. But if you're afraid and you're cowering, you're, you're, you're not reading your Bible. You've forgotten about how great your God is. Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This isn't part of my sermon, by the way. I'm just, I'm just ripping right now. Sometimes I see things on the internet. Anyway, let me get back to it. So today, why? Why T-hop, why T-hop, why T-hop? If that offended you, by the way, because here, you know, here, here's the deal. I, I, I go get candy with my kids, bro. I'm not worshiping Satan. Anyway, and I know that's, you know, people have issues with that. Don't leave the church offended. Don't think I don't understand spiritual warfare. Free candy's free candy. <laughs> Come see me if you don't like that. All right, so Count Zinzendorf. Count Zinzendorf. How many people know about Count Zinzendorf? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven people count Zinzendorf. I don't like saying Count Zinzendorf. Willie Will, if you could put the picture up. I'm going to just call him the Count. The Count. The Count. This is who he is. I don't know how they got that picture from the 1700s, but um, hopefully it's him. You never know what you'll find on the internet, you know what I'm saying? But uh, hopefully that's not John Bunyan or something like that. But uh, anyway, that's Count Zinzendorf, right? He was born May 26, 1700, 1700, 1700. He, came, he, he, he grew up in Germany. He came from wealth and privilege, and he died in 1760, 1760. So I, at the early service, I said 1960. So if I say 19-something, okay, uh, forgive me. It's always going to be 17, okay? Everything that he ever did happened before America was established. This is really important because we got a lot of ignorant people that don't know our history. Everything that you are going to hear that they did happened before America was established. And so today I'm going to share about the history of the Count and this missionary, Moravian missionary movement. William Carey, who is known as the father of modern, modern missions, has said of the Count and the Moravians that they were the father of modern missions because he came before William Carey. He was a wealthy aristocrat, and he was made to serve in government because his family was so wealthy and had so much land in Germany, but he hated it, he did not like it, and his family stopped him from going into the ministry. He came across a painting with this phrase on it. Will, if you could put the picture of the cross. I don't have the painting, but this is what was under the painting as it showed the crucified Savior. And if you can't read this, it says at the bottom of the cross, I suffered this for you. What have you done for me? I would encourage you to write that down, please. 
And I would encourage you to meditate on it because as he was doing aristocrat, governmental, wealthy things, he came across the picture of this Savior who bled and died and was murdered and suffered so that he could have us in his family. And when it says, what have you done for me? That gripped him in such a way where he said, Jesus, I'm all in. I'll embrace suffering from you, for you. I will suffer for you. Have you ever told Jesus you'll suffer for him? Christian, have you? I will embrace suffering for you, Jesus. Oh, we've been born again into a Christianity in America that avoids suffering at all cost. There is an avoidance of suffering. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Guess what? That's suffering because I want to do what I want to do. It's deny yourself, take up your cross daily. The cross is where we get the word excruciating, crucifixion, because they didn't have a word to, uh, uh, to describe the crucifixion, so they came up with the word excruciating. Take up your cross daily, and then what? Follow me. That's what Jesus said to be his disciple. Follow me, follow me. What does that mean? You can no longer, so here's an altar call right now. You want to give your life to Jesus? You want him to be a king, the king of your life? It means this. It means this before you ask him into your heart. You can no longer follow yourself. You've got to follow him. You're not the king anymore. Your crown is broken. You might as well take it off. Oh, God, our altar call should look like that. Here's the deal. Here's where the grace comes in. Oh, God, I want to run my life. I want to lead my life, but I know, I know, I know that it's wrong. Please change me. I give you my heart and the grip that I have on my life. Would you just peel the grip off and break my hands off so that I follow you, Jesus, so that you become king? I don't want to be king anymore. Save me from myself. I surrender my surrender, Jesus. You suffered for me. I want to suffer for you. Wow. And by the way, we'll have more seats next week at the 1030 because of what I just said. But understand what I just said. It's what the count said and did. And we're talking about him today, hundreds of years later, because he's one guy that surrendered. Don't get it twisted. He's one guy that said yes to Jesus. The reason why I want you to know that all of this happened before America was founded is because when the Moravians came to America, They had a profound effect on a lot of the people in America, the colonists, before the founding. And so I want you to turn to Matthew eleven twelve, please. <clears throat> I'm going to have you turn to four places today. That's it. It's more, this is a, it's a Bible study, but it's also a history lesson as well, Christian history. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twelve 12 says this. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violent and the, violence take it, the violent take it by force. So understand, when Jesus says, seek the kingdom first, it's a call to violence. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. When you push up against gates, that's a little bit of violence. And again, the gates won't prevail. They're going to get knocked down and it will be a violent knockdown. 
When you seek the kingdom first, Matthew 6, seek the kingdom first. That's a command of Jesus. Seek the kingdom, make the kingdom your number one priority. Understand that there's going to be violence around the kingdom. And we just don't like to hear that because we want the bubble bath Jesus. Where everything is good and peaceful. Was that how his life was? When he confronted evil, when he told the truth? No, they killed him for it. He suffered violence. When you look at the disciples, all of them were martyred. Every single one of them martyred. Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my Lord Jesus. Violence. Now, <clears throat> here's some good news. Hebrews 12, 28, okay? Christianity is a, it's a paradox where you have things that seem to be contradictory, but they're not. They're just true truths that we can't understand how they work in the tension. Because, listen, Jesus said, my words I give to you that your joy may be what? Full, full of joy. So you're talking about suffering. My joy meter is way down, Pastor Chris. Well, see, listen, <laughs> Get on his words and obey them. Your joy is going to be full. That's what he said. He said his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So when you encounter suffering, understand, hey, listen, there's going to be some joy in this experience. There's, look, when Jesus in Hebrews, he said, he says, he, he, he suffered the cross. He embraced the cross, right? He despised the shame because the what was set before him. The joy. So there's always joy in the suffering. That doesn't make sense at all. I know. It's why you need the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. As you suffer for Jesus, you're going to ex experience more life and more joy. It's cool. Hebrews 12, 28. Here's some good news about the kingdom. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. When's the last time you were grateful and thankful to God for the kingdom that you have received? Thank you, Jesus. We've received this kingdom. I don't have to be king anymore. You're my king. This is so good. This is so good. Even, even in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What's all these things? Well, in context, all these things is food and clothing and, and everything that's needed in life. So in context of Matthew chapter 6, we seek the kingdom and he provides everything for us. Oh, wow, this is an amazing kingdom that we've received. And so we've received this kingdom that cannot. You might want to highlight that. Because some of you are like, oh, no, Joe Biden's president. And some of you are like, oh, no, Trump was president. Hey, look, bro. Ha! Kingdom over everything, baby. It doesn't matter who it is. The kingdom will not be shaken. Now, can I have my choice of who it is? Yeah. But ultimately, I serve a king. I pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God more so than I pledge allegiance to the United States of America and to its flag. I'm kingdom, baby. And when America goes against kingdom, I'm always kingdom. When the party goes against kingdom, I'm always kingdom. Don't get it twisted. This is who we are in Christ. So listen, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us offer acceptable worship, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So some of what's implied here, some of our worship won't be acceptable. Not acceptable. A lot of our worship's not acceptable. Well, what do you mean, Chris? Hey, thanks for asking. When you read Isaiah 58, 
and you can do this at your own time. Isaiah 58 talks about the Hebrew nation and they were fasting and they were singing and they were worshiping and God said, blah, 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 blah. That's Hebrew. I don't want to hear it. And the reason why he didn't want to hear their worship that was so good was because they didn't care for the poor They didn't care for the poor. That's Isaiah 58. And here we are in America. Uh, Do you you know, and and Darren, I love it that you're here, but before Darren, let's just say before Darren and Sarah showed up on our worship team, okay? (sighs) Chris, your preaching is good, but the worship is just not... I mean, I just like it better at such and such. I just like it better at such and such. Listen, let me just tell you something. I want you to be biblical. Biblical. When you look at a church's worship, you look at what they spend in their budget on the poor. Not what's going on with three songs. Hello, church. (laughs) So who has the best worship? Well, yeah, God does, yeah. It's a good answer. We don't know. We're judging worship by the, the singing on stage or the preaching. Like, no, 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 no. You'll know a church's worship when you look at their budget and you see how much goes to the poor in their community. How how do you say that, Chris? Isaiah 58. Man, I'm way off my notes. Help me, Lord. And I'm saying help me in all sincerity, Lord. So here we have a kingdom that's going to suffer violence, Matthew eleven twelve, and then we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. They seem to contradict, but they're not. The kingdom is always, always, always advancing. And the count, Count Zinzendorf, before American happened, he so affected Benjamin Franklin that Benjamin Franklin published many of his sermons and lectures. True story, Benjamin Franklin owned slaves. But do you know his last act in Congress? That he petitioned a bill that would abolish the slave trade. Many people don't know that. We just see, we're we're in an America where we just focus on the bad. But I want to tell you something. Count Zinzendorf had such an effect on Ben's life that there was a repentance there, and he actually was part of an abolitionist society and a movement that started in America. But when we focus on the early life, I don't know about you, but I'm glad some of you aren't focusing on my uh, you know, teenage years because I'm different now. I'm glad some of you aren't focused on my early 20s because I'm different now. I'm, I'm glad some of you aren't focused on my, 40, my, my 30s because I'm a lot different now. Be careful of narratives that put focus on one aspect, one statement, and there's not context. By the way, that's American history. It's focusing on one thing because there's a narrative that needs to be created, and we need to be careful of that. We've got to do our own research. Most of your school history books are wrong. It's a whole other topic. Now, why is this important? Because Count Zinzendorf lived like this. And this is what we need to be as kingdom people. We don't complain about the system. We don't complain about the system. We start new systems. 
kingdom people don't whine and plain, complain and become victims in a corrupt system. They just said, okay, God, how can I start a new system here? Listen, for me, right? For years, I'm complaining about the public schools and the kids coming from our public schools and they can't read on grade level. And finally, finally, God granted enough faith that we started our own Christian school. And after the first year, the majority of the kids are on grade level. See, we just don't keep complaining about, about, about. Let's just start a new system, guys. It's the kingdom. And Count Zinzendorf, when he established his kingdom communities, he challenged the status quo of what was going on in the rest of the world. Why? Because he was a Christian. He was a disciple of Jesus. In 1722, he was 22 years old. So some of you are 22 and around that age. Look, uh, uh, listen, no more excuses about your age, about where you are in life. It really doesn't matter to God. He can use a donkey to talk. He can use you. I won't use the donkey in the King James Version because that wouldn't be appropriate here. He can use you. 1722, again, he's 22 years old. He hears about the refugees being persecuted by the Catholic Church in Europe, and he opens up his estate, and he welcomes the poor refugees on his estate. They begin to build cabins, and they begin to build communities, and he's loving them up. He's loving the poor up. He's creating a new system in the midst of all the persecution that was going on of the Protestants in Europe. There was an underground church, and he called them out of the underground into his wealthy estate at Herrenhut. And Will, if you can put up that. So hundreds of people came, and they built this beautiful community. The Moravian community had such a reputation for excellence in everything that it did that rulers of local areas would invite them in to plant another Moravian community. Even Frederick of Prussia invited him into his land to say, will you come and establish one of your communities? We need you here. They built kingdom communities in such a way that would support the mission. So if you're taking note, listen, God is giving you the ability to create and make wealth, not to establish you, but his mission. By the way, Count Zinzendorf is known as the rich young ruler who said yes. He said, yes, God. I'm all in, God. See, it blows my mind that Jesus says, very simple statement, it's better to give than to receive. Everybody got that? We know that. We can all quote that. It's better to give than to receive. Yeah, we got that. We understand that. We get that. But then how do we live? We live, it's better to receive than to give. When we look at our budget, and we raise our kids, you got to go to job, get, go to, get good grades, go to college so you can get a good job, so you can make a good living. When I've, I've been telling my kids for a long time, it's better to give than receive. So you get good grades, you go to college so you can get a good job because it's better to give than to receive. Are we doing that? That's what they did. They were missionally minded. They were kingdom first people. And so here's the deal. Their kingdom was just so amazing. 
where they would produce the best pottery, the best musical instruments, right? The best leathers and tanners and, and, and furniture that people would look on them and say, wow, we've got to have their products because their motive was to do everything for the glory of God. We as Christians know that as well. Whatever you do in word and in deed, do it as unto the glory of God, not for ourselves, but from him. So when I work, I work for the glory of God, not to please man, not to make money, but to glorify God. And as I do that with a pure heart towards God, the money will follow because everybody will want me because I'm the best at what I do, bringing excellence in the glory of God to the work that I do. And when the money comes in, I live to give rather to receive. And let me tell you something. Some of you are stuck on jobs and stuff because those two foundational, basic 101 kingdom principles have no place in your life. And so you're in the wilderness. Today, come on out. Come on out and come down at the end and say, I repent for not working with excellence. And I repent, God, for wanting to receive more than I give. Please do in me what I cannot do in myself. And God's grace will come and everything will change. When I got saved, I was working as a waiter. I was the worst employee. I hid in the, in the locker doing whippets. Some of you don't know what that is, but anyway, I won't go into that here in this service. I'd, I'd avoid work. I'd hide out in the cooler I would just be about me, wouldn't help nobody, wouldn't run any food. I'd just be, uh, no call, no show, showing up late. I mean, man, worst employee. I was suspended like five times. Now, I was also on drugs and other things. But anyway, when I came to Christ, I started reading my Bible. And Jesus said, very simply, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Whatever you do in word and deed, do is unto the Lord. Go the extra mile. Oh, wow, God. I am completely corrupt in my work ethic. And I went from being the worst employee that was suspended multiple times to employee of the year the next year. Why? Not because of me. Not because of me. Because I repented. Repentance means not to say I'm sorry. Repentance means that I confess and I agree with God with how he sees things, but I also want you to change me because I don't want to be like that anymore, God. Please help me. I'm a lazy person. I'm a lousy worker. I do not show up on time. I do not keep my word. I cannot do this because I'm supposed to represent you and I'm making you look dirty. I'm making you look filthy. I'm bringing disgrace on your name, Jesus. And that's repentance. And he will come to a heart like that and he will change you because he did it in me. He'll do it in you. Now, I'm still late once in a while, but anyway, hey, no judgment here. It's just forgiveness. It's forgiveness. This is a real cool way where they changed their community. In the reading levels in the colonies before America was started in 1740, it was estimated that the general population's reading levels were 20%. So only 20% of the colonies could read. For women, it was only 5%. Only 5%. Not because women are not smart, okay, that's not why, but the culture of the day wouldn't allow most women to read and become educated, just the men. 20% of men, 5% of women in the 1740s, in the early colonies before America was started. When the Moravians came in, the literacy rate, uh, they planted a mission like this in Bethlehem in the 1740s, um, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The literacy rate for the women in the Moravian colony was 90%. Why? Why? Because they were kingdom people. 
in Christ, there's no male or what? But we're all what? One in Christ. So if that's the kingdom, let's let these women read. And so they created a new system inside where 90% of the women could read, but outside in the rest of the world, only 5% of the women could read. That's the kingdom. This is why we don't complain about the system. We create new ones. And when we come together, when we come together, obeying the word of God, creating new kingdom systems on earth, guess what? God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Amazing things happen, but the reality is we're trying to build our own little kingdom. I'm building my kingdom and I'm also gonna build yours, God. If I got time for yours, I'll get around to your kingdom. That's just the reality. It's a tough message today, by the way. All right, well, good. That's okay, that's okay. God is here. <laughs> God is here, Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ, this is not condemnation. It's just like, hey, wake up. It's time to say, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. I want to live and walk in your word, Jesus. I want to forget the former things. I want to forget about the past, and I want, to, I want to press on to what you have, Jesus. I want to live for you, Jesus. I want you to understand something about our country as well. How many people have heard about the old deluder Satan act? Go ahead and raise your hand up high. Old Deluder Satan Act. I want you to go research it, okay? My, probably not Google, maybe DuckDuckGo, but anyway, it's a whole other topic. Old Deluder Satan Act was when our Congress decided we need to start public schools so that people could learn how to read. Again, 20% of the population could read. And the purpose was they wanted to dilute the work of Satan, they wanted to dilute the work of Satan. So they started public schools so that children could learn to read Bibles. But then Congress said, we don't have enough Bibles. So they ordered, Congress ordered at the institution of our country, 20,000 Bibles, and they sent them out to the colonies so that the kids in public schools could learn how to read the Bible. Because if they learn how to read and obey the Bible, we wouldn't need police. We wouldn't need a lot of big government. We wouldn't need that because people would be governed by the rules of God. And by the way, we would not have slavery either if people obeyed the Bible as well, which they didn't do. So we're not trying to neglect stuff, but we're just giving it to you how it is, which people really, again, don't know because they're thinking separation of church and state. Well, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. Separation of church and state came about because of a pastor. He was concerned what would happen in America would happen in Europe, and what happened in Europe is that the church was in the government and the government was forcing Christianity, their type of Christianity. It was establishing religion. And this pastor from Danbury Baptist Church wrote to Thomas Jefferson and said, hey, we're concerned that what happened in Europe is going to happen in America, and we don't want the government in our churches. And Thomas Jefferson said, and by the way, Thomas Jefferson's church was in the Capitol building, and he used the Marine Corps band as the worship team, right? Okay, so anyway, there's some more stuff that we don't even know about our country, by the way. So he wrote to him, Thomas Jefferson said, hey, there's a wall and a separation between church and state. So that's from a letter written to a Baptist pastor saying the government will never come in your church. That was the context of that statement that's not in the Constitution. So the government's not allowed to establish religion. So how's that, how's that work? I feel like the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to get a vaccine. The government can't force me. It's establishing religion. It's not allowed to do that. Does that make sense? This is really extremely important. And we've lost our minds with separation in church and state. It was never to keep the church out of the government. It was always to keep the government out of the church. Don't get it twisted. They lied to you. 
and they're still lying to you. That's why our government paid money to support missionaries to go and evangelize the Indians. And again, we don't know about that either. They ordered Bibles. They're sending missionaries. They they did the old deluder Satan act. Man, I'm looking at the time. But like, raise your hand if you knew all of that already. And this is redundant. Okay, we got a couple people. Like, Like literally, we got like seven, eight people, guys. the system's against us, we're going to create a new system. That's what we do. One of the things that he did is he brought kingdom culture into every culture. Bishop Augustus, August Spangenberg, if he's listening, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. It was in the 1700s, so if he was a real bishop, he is listening. If he wasn't a real bishop, He's somewhere else and is not listening. But anyway, this is what he said. The count devoted attention to those who are weak, simple, ungifted. From the world's perspective, they were the worthless and despicable. He broke down ethnicity, class, and gender. He offended the wealthy because he mingled with commoners, slaves, and Indians. It's who he was. It's what he did. It's who we are, by the way. Jesus came to the uneducated fisherman and said, follow me. I believe you can be just like me. Well, go ahead and put up the picture of the guy speaking from St. Thomas. He met a black slave from St. Thomas, and he brought him into his community in Heronhut, and he had him speak to the brethren. He was telling about the slaves in St. Thomas. And so there was two missionaries that were listening that said, send me, I'll go. And they went over to St. Thomas, and the slave owners arrested them, beat them, and threw them in jail. When Count Zinzendorf heard about it, he went on a boat, and he went over there himself and he used his wealth and leverage to get the people out of prison. When the two missionaries first came to the slaves, they didn't receive them because they were judging them by the color of their skin. But after they saw they went to prison and were beaten and tortured for this message, all of a sudden when they got out of prison, the slaves listened to them and 800 slaves gave their life to Jesus. And they started one of those communities there with the slaves. It's an amazing story. And by the way, when they used to leave on mission, they wouldn't pack their suitcases. They would pack their coffins, literally, their wooden coffins, because they believed they weren't going to come back. This is an amazing group of people. They went to Greenland. South Africa, America, South America, India, and to the Native Americans in America. In Pennsylvania, George Whitfield asked count the count to come and build a school and an orphanage for the children of freed slaves. This was happening before our country began. And we hear at Thanksgiving all these white colonists came in and just murdered people. And now listen. Some of that is true, but there's also real deal Christians, and there always has been, and there always will be, and we do not act like the rest of the world, but we build kingdom systems, and we bring kingdom influence, and we change lives again. A pastor, George Whitfield, said, hey, come and help us with these freed slaves so we can educate them and house them and house their kids and raise them up. And one of our founders, Dr. Benjamin Rush, he was a doctor and he was training at the inception of our country and he was a signer of the Constitution and he never owned a slave. He trained black doctors in Philadelphia. And again, we don't know about this stuff because we're taught incorrectly. Is America complicit with this great evil? Yes, it was. But listen, there's great evil going on now. And we as a church, we cannot be complicit with that. We stand up, we point at the systems, and we say, I'm going to spend my life creating a new system. 
That's how it has always been. It's how it always will be where true kingdom people say, Jesus, I'm ready to ride or die for you. And I will go to whoever you tell me to go to. And I will serve them. I will love them. And I will lay down my life for them because I want to be a good shepherd like you, Jesus. That's how it always is. That's how it is today. It's why we're doing what we're doing at Teop. Will, if you could put up the picture of the Indians, please. Now, guys, I want you to turn to Acts 1.14, please. Here's the count bringing the gospel to the Indians. They went everywhere. They went to the Eskimos. They went everywhere because Christ died for everyone. So they went to everyone with the gospel. And they didn't participate in slavery. They called it evil and they stood against it. And they were people that went to jail, to jail to try to reach those who were enslaved. All these were with one accord devoting themselves to what? Prayer. There's two things here. All right, some application. Are you in one accord right now with your brothers and sisters in Christ? The world's trying to get us and not in one accord. We've got to be one accord. In love, in humility, considering others better than ourselves. Are we one accord? The second thing, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. We're devoted to listening to a sermon on Sunday morning, but are we devoted to prayer? My house shall be called a house of preaching. My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. Together with the women, Mary, Mother, Jesus, and his brothers, they were on one accord. When they were on one accord in unity, the Holy Spirit fell. Revival happened at Pentecost, right? I want you to turn to Psalm 133, please. Psalm 133. So, A.W. Tozer, and, and, and this kind of application here for us, how T-hop, how T-hop. The first thing is, we're going to have to be of one accord. We are going to have to be a people that really, really operate out of love and affection for one another. We have to be unified, because you see in the early church, Acts 1.14, there was one accord, there was unity, and they were praying, and then the Holy Spirit fell. In, in, in Psalm 133, it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in what? Unity. We have to be uni- unified. And, and when we're unified, it says the oil drips down on what? Aaron's beard. So listen, you're a priest, but you also have a beard today. Congratulations. And when we are unified, that releases the drip. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Lord drips. And then what's next? God commands a what? Blessing. Unity, the drip, the blessing. When we're disunified, it stops the flow and it stops the blessing. And we have to come against division in the body of Jesus Christ. Christ, not only in our own churches, but also cross denominations. And this is what happened to the Moravians. What happened was in 1927, in this beautiful little kingdom community, guess what was happening? Division. In fact, they were calling the Count Antichrist. Some groups were. They thought he was the Antichrist. So he started to go around and build relationships. And he drew up this covenant that people signed. We're not going to argue about non-essential doctrines. We are going to believe the best in one another. We're going to be unified at all costs. We're going to be known as the one who obey the new commandment, which is love one another as I've loved you. And the whole community came and agreed to that covenant piece of paper, and then they went and reconciled. So there was real repentance that was happening and going on. And then after that, 
they took communion, and after they took communion, the Holy Spirit fell, and they began to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 100 years as a church because God blesses unity. He hates division. He hates it. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And we, as the people of God, are so divided. And listen, I'm not perfect. I've taken part of division, but man, I am trying to work with everybody as issues with me. Please come talk to me. Please let us reconcile. Please let's forgive. Please let's be in, because the kingdom's just way too important. It's way too important. We want to see God move. And everything that I just talked about, the mission, the communities, the building, all of that happened after 1927 when unity was established first and then you saw it explode all over the world. Listen, the book of Nehemiah shows us a glimpse of this. Nehemiah repented and reconciled on behalf of himself and his family to God. We've sinned against you. He fasted and prayed and wept before the Lord for four months, but in 52 days he built the wall. The prayer, the repentance, the unity, it brings the Holy Spirit in because we're walking in love with one another. And it's there God commands a blessing. It's there that the Holy Spirit drip off of us as the priests of God. We are the priests of God. And man, our beard should be just soaking with oil because we're unified. And that was the start in 1927. It started with repentance, repentance, confession, communion, unity, and a signing of a covenantal brotherly love statement that we are going to we are going to protect the unity here and when that happened the holy spirit fell and revival went all over the world and so i'm finally to and the plane is like it is not circling it's coming down so thank you for no hallelujahs So we want to start prayer at T-Hop. Will, go ahead and put T-Hop back up. Uh, by the way, put the uh, St. Benedict one. When, when the plane was coming down, it's going to go around one more time. So listen. So listen, in, in the 400s, right, somewhere around there, St. Benedict, he created this rule so that the people could live in community. Rules so people could live in community. Right? This is how our community is going to operate. Count Zinzendorf built upon that with his, his, his covenantal agreement. Here's how we're going to protect the unity. Here's how we're going to live in unity. And that's what he created. And so listen, church, some application, some application. All right? Number one, we've got we've to learn from the past. We're going to be in big trouble. We're going to be in big trouble. And so... Here's what you need to pray about, okay? Number one, some of you feel led to be a part of T-Hop. Some of you feel led to be part of T-Hop, or man, I want to sign up. I want to sign up for a prayer shift. And here's what I want to just say back to you. Jot down Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. We don't have time to turn there. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says, hey, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so if you're signing up for a shift for 24-7 prayer, uh, kind of don't come, leave your gift at the altar. If you know somebody has an issue with you, go and reconcile. And once you do that, then come back and bring your gift. How important is unity and reconciliation to Jesus? He's like, don't even worship me. Don't bring your gift up here, man, until you go and handle your business. Step number one, you want to join? Handle your business. We can't bring division into it. Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just trying to obey Jesus in Matthew chapter five. That's what he says to do. And so if you have 
history of division and, and, and just splits and all of that stuff. Man, go try to make that right. Then come be a part of this team because we've got to be unified as we worship God from every tribe, from every tongue, from every language, giving him what he deserves because that disunity and division will grieve the Holy Spirit and we can't have that. The second thing, all right, so if you feel led, check with Matthew 5, 23, 24, handle that business, and then come talk to me. That's number one. Number two, we've got to create a covenant for T-Hop that everybody's going to sign when they come take part of it. This is what we're going to agree to. This is what we're going to agree to by being part of this. And so we're going to need help with that. We're going to need help connecting with other churches, other leaders that you know, because we've got to come together as one. And the final thing is we're going to need people to sign up for shifts to begin praying. And we're not going to start when the building's finished. We're actually wanting to start right now. We're actually kind of already started with some staff members. Now, we're not doing 24-7, but we've got to get these shifts going. So pray about, can I sign up for a shift once a week? Can I sign up for a prayer shift? And this is what the calling that God has on Damaris's life as God has called her to, to, to bang against heaven. God, come, 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 come. And God has come. And he is building this thing called the Tamron House of Prayer. And we are going to use these principles that we see in Count Zinzendor's life to hopefully and prayerfully bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, to join in what God is doing up in heaven right now. And it is going to be a beautiful thing, but we have to be unified. We have to be reconciled. So, Father, I thank you for just this time this morning. And, Lord, anything that was said that wasn't of you, God, I just pray you just erase it by your grace. But, God, I've said some pretty, pretty uh, challenging things and I believe that they were from you. And I just come against, Lord, any legalism, any, any, any guilt, shame, condemnation, because that's not you. And I just pray for your still small voice just to take over right now in every person's life. The question, hey, will you suffer for me? Will you suffer for me? May they know that you're right there in the suffering, bringing joy that you have your arm around them through the suffering, that you're yoked up with them, never to leave them or forsake them. Some people have been building their own kingdom. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would just stop it and they would shift and turn and be about your kingdom, God. Many people are not reconciled right now, and there's division and all kinds of stuff. God, I just pray against that in the name of Jesus, and I pray, God, we would love one another like you love us. You did not allow our sin to stop you from loving us. And may we move like that, God, forgiving and blessing even our enemies, God. And God, I pray as you stir up the priests, as you stir up the priests, God, that people will sign up and say, God, I just want to sign up for a shift so I can worship you, Jesus. Because I love you, Jesus. And you are so worthy, Jesus. And I just want to exalt you in that room. I just want to kiss you. I just want to take my alabaster jar and break it at your feet, Jesus. Because you alone are worthy. And so, God, raise up true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. And, Lord, I know there's people that are here that have never surrendered to you, Jesus. They believe in you. They've even asked you into their heart, but you're really not Lord. You're really not the King. And so, Father, I pray that this altar this morning would be flooded with your people that just surrender all over again. God, I surrender even my surrender because I can't even surrender apart from you. You be my king. You be my king. You be my king. My crown is broken. You be my king. And I pray that this would be a group of people that would cry out for that. I pray for just a holy moment when we take communion as well. 
as we celebrate what you have suffered for us. And as we take that in, may we say, I will suffer for you, Jesus, as I celebrate this union with you. Whatever it may be, come, God, pour out your spirit. Have mercy, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. We need you, God. That is our cry, Father. That we would be houses of prayer. That we are your temple, God. Come, God, and have your way. And remove, God, what is blocking you from coming. We surrender, God. Help us sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.